They said, no, no, they're not, they're not closed news still, Eric. I said, they're not, they're not closed news still. We're turning, retaining coal like there's no tomorrow. You know, it's like a black river coming off, off the coal face. You know, that's the exact words he said to me. And I said, well, we'll see, you know. And news did close in 1987, two years after. <laughs> Welcome once again to Mansfield is a town in North Nottinghamshire, the podcast about Mansfield, which is a town in North Nottinghamshire. I could list at this point all the places where Mansfield is also a town that are not in North Nottinghamshire, but I'm not going to do that because I've done that before. So it's about Mansfield, which is a town in North Nottinghamshire. There we go. And um, this episode is presented by me, Robert Shaw, and by my mother. Say hello, mum. Hello, ma'am. Oh, she always does that, doesn't she? And um, this episode is about all the things Mansfield has been. People tend to say, oh, it's an ex-mining town. It's ex-lots of other things as well. And indeed, as we will hear from Dennis Hill shortly, um, it is also many things currently too. People do all sorts of different kinds of work here and all sorts of exciting things go on. Um, and then after that, we're going to be visiting the Nottinghamshire Mining Museum, which celebrates one of the things Mansfield was, though it's called the Nottinghamshire Mining Museum. It is very specifically in Mansfield, but we'll talk about that afterwards. So, Mum, obviously you used to work down the pit, you still live with your pit pony, but apart from that, what other, what other kinds of work did you do around the Mansfield area? What was your first job? I was working for Jaeger. I was 14. Okay, and what's Jaeger for anybody who doesn't know? It's make it makes classy clothes, outerwear. It's a very classy company. Okay, Jaeger is. And so actually, Mansfield had lots of jobs in uh, making clothes and knitwear, didn't it? Um, yes, it was. Hosier Mills, of course, uh, a major employer here. But you you went to work for Jaeger when you were fourteen. Yes, I did. And were you any good? No. Did they regret employing you? Well, they didn't say so. They kept me on, but I, I don't think I was their best. I don't think I was their best employee. I tried very hard, but I don't think I was a natural. I was better with the pit ponies. And so where was your job with uh, Jaeger? Where was the factory? It was in Hucknall. It was in Hucknall, okay. And you were travelling from Blidworth, is that from right? Blidworth. We used to travel at 7 o'clock in the morning and come home at six o'clock at night. And what was your mode of transport? Evoke it for us. It was uh, the, what we used to call the blue bus, the B8 as it was known. But it was a bus that was blue, is that right? Yes. So now I'm going to talk to Dennis Hill about the various other jobs that people have traditionally done in and around Mansfield and what people do today. Mansfield is a town in North Nottinghamshire. Ba, 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 ba. 
What has Mansfield been in the past, as well as a mining town? People have done other things here, haven't they? Well, that's right. There's not always been uh, coal mines around Mansfield. If we go back, let's say, a thousand years, uh, we find, like most places, there was very heavily into farming, uh, agriculture. But Mansfield, actually, during the medieval times, was known for its wool production, for its Sherwood Forest sheep that it uh, raised in the area, which produced very good wool, which, of course, in turn, then led towards uh, the weaving of cloth. So that was the major industry during the medieval time. But following on from that, after the introduction of the framework knitting machinery in the late 1500s, uh, eventually we saw framework knitting coming into Mansfield as well. So apart from the weaving of the medieval period, we then got into the knitting of cloth uh, through the framework knitting industry, which, of course, then eventually in the mid-1800s evolved into a very large manufacturing hosiery industry in Mansfield. Around the same sort of time as the hosiery industry is making its way on a large scale in Mansfield, let's say towards the mid to late 1800s, we also then see the coal mining industry coming in side by side. So now we've got two major industries that's come into Mansfield that really gave Mansfield a great prosperity what, throughout the 20th century, really, right up until the decline of the, both industries, again, almost side by side, declining together. 1980s. Yeah, because the mining industry then really opens up in the Mansfield area when? It's in the 19th century, isn't it? It's, uh... It is only very late 19th century. It's interesting. Most people seem to think that it goes back a lot uh, further than that. But yes, coal mining in the likes of Kirkby and Sutton go back further and even a little further over towards the west. It uh, goes back a lot further. But Mansfield was rather late. And I think the ironic thing is Mansfield, yes, was indeed a coal mining town, but no mines were ever actually sunk in the boundaries of Mansfield. They were all just outside the town. But the private uh, colliery owners, they built uh, mining uh, housing estates within the town and consequently attracted a lot of people into Mansfield. Yeah. And so what else have people done? And I think we've always had a bit of a history of brewing, haven't we? We have, actually. And that started out, actually, with the agricultural business uh, back in the medieval times, because they ended up actually growing a lot of barley, which, of course, is used primarily in the malt industry, which then goes on to produce your beers. And uh, Mansfield, along with Newark, towards into the 1700s, were some of the largest malt producers in all of England. And by the early 1800s, we can see that there was over 30 malt kilns in Mansfield alone, many right in the town centre. And the interesting thing is that by the time Mansfield Brewery was established in 1855, the malt industry was in the decline in Mansfield. There was just one main malt kiln left, which actually was the one that fed the malt into the Mansfield Brewery industry. And it was quite a substantial malt kiln, the one that still survives on Midworth Street. 
And of course, there was the great ad in the 1980s, I think it was with a picture of Ronald Reagan, who was the president of the United States, and the line, he may be the president of the most powerful country in the world, but he's never had a pint of Mansfield. <laughs> That's right, I remember that. But that was sort of the end of it in a way, wasn't it? Um, yes, uh, yeah, Mansfield Brewery, of course, was uh, uh, taken over and the industry after a couple of years was uh, removed from Mansfield with all the business being transferred. Uh, such a shame to see yet another industry leaving the town. And what else has there been then in Mansfield? Were there any other big industries that... Um that built up the sort of population and drew people in? or I, I think there was. Maybe there was not quite the size of the hosiery and the malting and the coal mining, but we had what we call the support industries. The, the bigger um, metal industries, for instance, such as the precision engineering and the casting industry, they were the ones that were producing articles uh, to supply the coal mines with, for instance, amongst many other things. And again, they started to appear mid-1800s and rapidly diminished from around the 1980 period. I myself actually served an apprenticeship with Bonham and Turner's precision engineers. Unfortunately, they do still survive, but they've moved out of Mansfield into neighbouring Sutton. And there you're pointing to this sort of great change that happened in the 1980s, um, sort of around the time of the miners' strike, but actually... Well, this is, this is, the miners' strike is in many ways emblematic of a wider shift, isn't it, that's going on in British industry? Uh, certainly it is for Mansfield. But I think what we've got to consider as well, that uh, a friend of mine who's uh, an expert in this field, Dr David Amos, he actually readily points out that the mining industry started its decline in a large scale from the 1960s. But for Mansfield, yes, it was the 1980s uh, when that, started its decline, with its knock-on effect into the engineering. So how about now? Um, what's the picture like for Mansfield? Is it quite bleak? Uh, do we need a lot of new industries? Or actually, is there more going on than, than sometimes is assumed? I, I think the answer to that was 1980s. Yes, it did look very bleak indeed. We did have mass unemployment, one of the highest in all of Britain. Uh, but we had a great council, great support from other organisations, such as the Chamber of Commerce and uh, what was the, well, still is the uh, uh, business representatives today of Mansfield 2020, which was originally known as Mansfield 2010, uh, simply because it set its goals to have a certain amount of industry by the year 2010. And once we reach 2010, it had to move it up to 2020 to set more goals. So shouldn't it be but, 2030 now? That, it really ought to be, shouldn't it? Now we bypass that, but they've not changed it yet. But you know what? Working together, they set some great goals. They've worked hard together. And I've really turned the economy of Mansfield around and brought it back into a prosperous position, in my opinion, certainly, uh, as to what it was before the closures of the mine. And, uh, and what, what are those sort of key industries then? Tell okay. Me. Now, that, that's an interesting question because I wouldn't even say that there is a key industry anymore. It's what we might call a mixed economy. And uh, Mansfield works hard to see what businesses it can attract into the town. 
And it just so ended up that it has been quite a mix. And maybe I could just quickly go through the list here that I've uh, uh, made up here. First of all, we still do have some manufacturing taking place. There are still some engineering companies, including manufacturing in the aero industry, um, occurs. We've got warehousing. Uh, one of the most recent, of course, is Amazon. But the, um, the Linney Group as, as well are into warehousing in a big way. And then uh, we've got out-of-town retail parts, which was possibly one of the starts of the mixed economy, uh, which is a shame because, as we all know, then that sort of knocks some effect of turning down the industry in the town centre. But nevertheless, they are thriving. Service industries are still going well. Printing industry with the likes of Linus, which are large employers. Electronics, web design, quite a lot of builders, and even, you might say they're in every town, but car dealerships. We've got this one quarter of Mansfield on the east side around the Southall Road area, which is a huge car dealership centre of all different manufacturers. And then, of course, we've got the catering and the nightlife of Mansfield, which is well known for miles around for the evening economy. So a truly good mix, but it's working. What is interesting to see on two recent surveys that's been uh, carried out, uh, one by the Office of National Statistics uh, just about a year ago now, and they was looking at the increases in business rentals. Now, of course, the increase in business rentals will reflect the amount of business take up. So on an average over the nation, the whole nation, it was a 5% increase. But in Mansfield and just two other locations, i.e. Wigan and Greater Manchester, we're double that at 10% increase, which shows that there is a big take-up of businesses coming into Mansfield. Maybe lots of smaller ones, but nevertheless all added to the economy. And the second survey, which only took place earlier on this year, um, uh, was in relation to business successors. And Mansfield was actually named as the number one place in all of England as the best place for a new startup business. Uh, out of all of Britain, there was only one that beat us, which was Cardiff. So in all of England, we were the, named as the best. And the way that this statistic is uh, produced is that there is far more new businesses opening up than what are closing, a ratio of 10 closing to 16 opening. So that puts us at the top of the list in all of England. Wow. That really is quite encouraging, isn't it? I wanted to ask you a question about, you mentioned the retail parks. And yeah. um, so the Ring Road, the famous Ring Road, when did that open? Was it the very end of the 1970s? Uh, yes, I can remember um, that the works and all this was taking place around 73, 74. So if I remember right, it was open somewhere around 78. Okay. But that wasn't the entirety. Uh, it wasn't finished, such as the uh, Rosemary Street side and connecting up to Chesterfield Road until the late 80s. Because in many ways, this changed the shape of all this coincided with and possibly helped to reshape the centre of Mansfield. So again, I remember a lot of industries being right in, in the centre of Mansfield. 
like the hosiery mills, for instance, I think had factories within the Ring Road area. Is that, do you remember the sort of factories that were? Well, that's right. The Rosemary Centre, which was known as Lawn Mills, that was right in the town centre there, next to the old bus station. And uh, there are others, bottom end of Victoria Street, which no longer exists. Then there's the one at the top of Westgate. Was that Meridian, if I remember right? And yeah, they were right in the town centre. But it's interesting to note, if you go back to the 1800s, the vast majority of those malt kilns were literally in the town centre and the areas of Westgate and on the marketplace and Regent Street area and so forth. So in a way, what, what's also happened is that a lot of that industry, and you've, you've uh, talked about the way that it shifted, but also has moved out of the centre of town uh, onto the sort of periphery. Um, and, and, and so in part, what we've witnessed is also just a change in where people work in Mansfield. Yes, that is quite true. I suppose it does two things. One, it makes the town centre a cleaner place to move into which, of course, a lot of the town centre now is being turned over, especially upper levels of shops, to residential, which I'm sure modern-day people would not have appreciated if industry was still there. But the other thing that it also does, by taking the businesses out of town, it gives more space for uh, people going to work with their cars or motorbikes, whatever it might be, to actually park up. That was Dennis Hill. Right, now we're going down the pit. And uh, in order to do so effectively, we're going to have to talk pit a bit, because uh, uh, the mining life has a very specific language that goes with it. Mum, do you talk, uh, do you talk pit? Boy, do, lad, I do. Oh yeah, that's that's uh, that's entirely authentic. I can I can tell. There. But you did you did grow up in a pit village. Your dad was a a miner. Um, yes. One of your brothers then worked in the mines. Yes. Um, which pit village did you grow up in? In Blidworth. In Blidworth or Blidworth. And the and the pit was actually in the village. Yeah, in a sense, the village grew up around the pit, didn't it? Yes, the, the, the mine was at the top of the village, really. It wasn't in the centre of it. It was at the top of it. Did most people who lived in the village work in the pit? I would say 99% of them did, because the houses belonged to the pit. You know, when you took a job, you got a house. So a very strong sense of community. Yes. It was a, It really was a mining village, owned by the mines. So, what uh, what special events were laid on? Do you have any uh, any wonderful memories of things that happened in the village? Uh, any special visitors, for instance? Well, in nineteen thirty seven, apparently, Gracie Fields came to the village. Now, Gracie Fields, for anybody who doesn't know, she was like a sort of Celine Dion. Of the 19th. She was a, a Rochdale lady. That's right, Celine Dion, that's what I said. Yes. And she sang Sally, Sally, pride of my Ali. She wasn't as good as that, though, was she? I mean, she wasn't as good as that. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the earth is beginning to to tremble around us. You don't need fracking to bring about little earthquakes, it turns out. It's just you singing. What were other hits? She had some other hits, didn't she? I think there was the biggest aspidistra in the world. That was it, the biggest aspidistra in the world. I can only remember those two. I think generally they're the ones that people wanted to hear. So they were the ones that they got. So is it a bit like going to a One Direction concert? Yes. You've never been to a One Direction concert, have you? No. <laughs> Good. Right then, on that note, it's time for us to go to the Nottinghamshire Mining Museum, which is in Mansfield. Here we go. I'm in the Nottinghamshire Mining Museum and I am with... Um, Eric Eaton. Eric Eaton and... Mick Lee. Mick Lee and uh, Eric and Mick, can I ask you what your connection is to the museum and how it was established? Uh, well, it, it was born. My, my, uh, I'm the chairman of the uh, of the uh, the board. Uh, we are we are a, co a limited company and a charity a charity as well. So I'm the chairman of that as well. It was born really out of the uh, Exeter Retired Miners Association in 2005. Uh, we people were asking us uh, about benefits. You know, uh, putting in for uh, industrial injuries and things like that that had happened in the pit but their pit had closed and there were nobody to go and see because when the pits were open if you had any problems like that you'd go and see your, your branch secretary at the pit well when the pit started closing there's no branch secretary for people to go and get advice off uh, and so we were people were getting on to us uh, I was the president of the union at Nottinghamshire area at that time uh, and we decided that uh, we'd start an Exxon Retired Miners Association up. I took over running it, I took the chairman's job, uh, and it was to help miners with the uh, industrial injuries, benefits, anything like that, the problems they'd got. Uh, we also did uh, bowls, golf, uh, competitions. Uh, what else did we do, Mick? Uh, fishing. Fishing, uh, yeah. Christmas, 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 really Christmas meal and everything. We did uh, quite a lot uh, for that. Just to say, just to sort of put in, I mean, one is a lot of people who worked in the mines did emerge with quite life changing exactly. injuries as a result of working yeah. them, didn't they? Yeah. Quite a high percentage. Did yeah, very. Percentage? Well, we, we, I, I think if you talk to any miner who had 20 or more years in the pit, they, they, they've got COPD or they've got pneumoconiosis. It's yeah. just. Uh, hearing, uh, you know, with the machinery at the pit, your hearing was... was quite a few physical injuries from, you know, yeah. accidents yeah. as well. Accidents, there were quite a lot of accidents in the pits as well. It was a very dangerous place. Yeah, and when you're talking there about doing these other events as well, working in the pit, was, it was really a way of life in a way that... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of, you know, jobs now, it's, it's hard to imagine how... Yeah. It kind of it was everything <coughs> by your village. Everybody went yeah, to the pit yeah. more or less. Yeah, now, the, 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 the villages are forgotten. The, they no longer see themselves as pit villages. The yeah. pit, the pits were sunk primarily in in the countryside, and then they built it. Uh, you know, they built a village around the pit, and the, you know they got nothing. So uh, the welfare's were like the the main point of call at, at uh, the pits mostly. I mean, they they when we got the welfare's, we'd got. Cricket teams, we got uh, rugby team. teams, football teams, yeah. uh, played bowls. They played, you know, they did a lot around because that's it was like a community. Because yeah. when the pit started, I mean, it's just sort of fill in history for people 
you know, who have grown up since the pits closed, the, <laughs> is that when the pits were first dropped, they were privately owned. Yes, they were. And actually, yeah. and, and that's where the whole business of setting up new villages or villages yes. growing yeah. out of them comes from, in a way. Yeah. Then what we tend to think of now is the sort of nationalised industry, which was yeah. after... Um, 1947. Okay. Yeah. Um, but before that, it's privately owned. And, yeah. and a lot of that culture actually comes out of the period when, well, it was communities that... Exactly. Yeah. Good well, the, the coal owners would sink, a, sink, you know, sink down to the coal seams, and uh, then they would want the workers to go and work in it. So what they did, they built, they built houses around the mine, and they'd rent your house to you. Yeah, they rent your house. They'd own to the you. shop in the local thing. Yeah. So yeah. they they virtually paid you, and then you give them all the money back in rent and <laughs> yeah. renting food. Of course, yeah. Because it was cheaper than other labour. Yeah. You know, it was like a, a cycle for them. You know, yeah. the, the, we'll, we'll build your house, but you're going to pay us rent for it. We'll build your shop, but you're going to buy the food from us. Yeah. Uh, so effectively, what money I give you, you'll give back to me, or a percentage of it, I'll get back through rent and uh, food. Yeah. In some in some places, they 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 used to get paid by tokens, and they can only they can only shop at the at the coal owner's shop with the tokens. They didn't get paid cash. They could only shop at the at the local shop. And that was owned by the the owners of the mine. That was in, in certain. Yeah. Certain yeah. And you look now at pit villages. The newer the pit, the better the housing. Yeah. You look yeah. at Newstead. Yeah. Little tiny two two two, two up two, two down. down. Yeah. You look at Blidith, which was a relatively new pit, or or um, Carlton, and they've got really quite nice houses. The pit houses are you know three bedroom semis, four bedroom semis, two bedroom semis, yeah. a variety of houses all be gardens. Yeah, and so that did that. When it was nationalised, did that change much in terms of the it, way... It, it did, because yeah, it, yeah. particularly somewhere like Calverton, they didn't open until sort of, you know, nationalisation. Uh, they've got much better housing in there. Yeah, yeah. You, you look at the older pit villages and the, the houses really are two up, two down. Yeah, and do you think the way that um, the relationship between the workers and uh, the people who ran the industry altered a lot then in the late 40s? Interesting, my mother told me the other day that her dad... So he became a communist in the late 40s, which would have coincided with about the moment of nationalisation. Yeah. I've got to ask her now whether there's any connection between the two. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but she was just telling me the story <laughs> yeah. about it. But actually, how did... what? So better well, housing at that point, obviously you've got the Ackley government, which is bringing in all sorts of... Well, well obviously we aren't old enough to we aren't old enough to awake under no, the, no. the privatisation. <laughs> no, right, no, but but yeah. my, my granddad did. He yeah. lived yeah. in Scotland. And he was in the 26th strike. He went to prison for poaching a pig. And he was blacklisted by all the pigs in Scotland, by the owners. Yeah. So he ended up coming here because he couldn't get a job in Scotland because he was on a list of uh, men who they wouldn't have because he was an activist during you know, the yeah. 26th strike. And nobody knew about the poached pig down here. <laughs> no, no, nobody knew. Except the poached pig. I just, uh, I just... No, nobody knew down here, yeah. so he could get a job down here. But he couldn't work in yeah. Scotland anymore because they effectively blacklisted him between the owners. Yeah. And it's similar in Nottingham. They, people got blacklisted. They had yeah. to go into other coal fields. Um, some went to Kent. Some went into Wales. Some went to Scotland, didn't they? Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, if you got blacklisted in, in Nottingham, you had to. There was only the other the other areas that you could go to, like. But about setting up the museum, then when did you have the idea to? Well, it started. It, it started off when we set the ex-retired miners up. Uh, people came to me and says, "I've got." I've got a shovel here from Pitt, do you want it? And I said, oh, all right, then I'll, I'll have it. I put it in my garage, and that went on for a few few years. Well, it, it, 
not not that many years. I'd got I'd got a bit of stuff from, uh, and I kept it in my garage in in boxes like. And we had a phone call from uh, Eastwood, one of the Eastwood schools, and she says, "Do you do you go? You know, do you come out and do, uh, and talk to the school children for us?" I'm an ex-miner, duck. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't stand up and talk. <laughs> it's not my forte. Uh, but we said, okay, we'll do that. So my colleague Bob Collier, his daughter was a teacher, and she says to us, right, right on the off, she says, don't just sit them down and talk to them, because after five minutes they'll be playing about. They're not taking any notice of you. So do some activities with them, and that's what we did. We went. We went to the school and we did uh, activities. We dressed them up in the, we got some uh, pit clothes, uh, overalls and things like that. We dressed them up with the cap lamps. We got the cap lamps and the helmets and, and things like that. We dressed them up uh, and we, we had a table. We put black cloths over the table, symbolize a coal face and they had to crawl through the coal face. Uh, and it re went really well. And, and word got, I mean, we've never advertised it, but word got around. Uh, and it was very successful, and we got school after school. And it was coming to us and saying, "You can you?" And by that time, people again were giving me stuff, and it was going in my garage, and my garage was getting full. Couldn't get the ready car in or out like that. Uh, so we decided to uh, rent a lockup. We rented one lockup, then it got to two lockups, then it got to three lockups, and people are giving us donated stuff all the time. And then in that time, we were going out and doing schools as well. We did a load of, we've done a load of schools. Uh, and it finished up, we'd got, why don't we open the museum? We've got, we've got all this stuff. It's, it's in lockups, it's costing us money to have lockups to store it. Why don't we try and open a museum with it? So we went to Mansfield District Council and asked if they could give us a building. Uh, they ummed and ah a bit at first, but then they, they give us one and we came here and uh, Bob's your uncle, we're still here at the minute. Yeah, so and that was in 2016. Yeah, so you're a pop-up at the moment, aren't you? We are a pop-up museum. We haven't got room to do a, uh, a, a display, a regular display, uh, because we have to take everything that's up now, we'll have to take it down, uh, we, and that means we have to close the museum because we haven't got room to do a permanent display. We need a bigger building to do a permanent display so we can have a pop-ups up, pop every so often. Yeah. But we haven't got room to do the permanent display, so all our stuff is on shelves in this room. I mean, they can't see the room, but it's all on these shelves in this room that we could show, we could talk about, we could give people uh, information about. Uh, so we have to do a pop-up, we have to close the museum while we we do with the pop-up, we saw the pop-up out, uh, and then we open again, and then next year probably we'll close the museum again, do another pop-up, uh, and that's how we, we, we're working at the moment. We'd yeah. love a, a bigger building so we could have that permanent museum and do pop-ups as well, because we've got a lot of stuff that we it's not, we can't put on show, and it, it, it really needs showing. I think you said in 2019, in before COVID, if anybody yeah. can remember that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> more than a thousand visitors. We had over yeah. a thousand visitors in the in the museum, and you don't which, you don't have a tremendous amount of publicity around it, so that's really no, no, that's no. really pretty good. <coughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, volunteers, I mean, we're all volunteers. Nobody gets paid. Uh, we don't pay anything. We don't even well, we do. We give them a cup of tea, but that's that's about <laughs> all we all we get. 
that when we opened in 2019, people were really interested. Oh, yeah. Particularly former miners or people who who's, can remember the dads or granddads yeah, were. Exactly, you know, yeah. And yeah. people would come in and uh, say, oh, my dad was a snaker or a chocker. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Yeah. And, and they'd be fascinated because we got some fantastic artwork on the wall done by an ex-miner yeah. who'd been on a strike and... Was he 79 before he even realised he could draw? He's 81. 81 now. And he'd drawn his memories, basically, to show his grandkids. And they were really brilliant because yeah, it was yeah. really, really easy to describe to people what yeah. they were doing and what was happening. And we had lots of folk coming in who, who first of all, could remember it, first-hand memories. And secondly, like I say, asking, oh, my dad said he was a snaker, or my dad said yeah. he was a ripper. Yeah. Oh, there were pictures of these people doing the jobs on the walls. And they were fascinated, weren't they? Yeah. So what was a snaker? Yeah. Which you better tell as you said it. A snake was somebody who followed the machine straight, pushing over the pans. The machine would come yeah, along, cut the coal, and then you, a snake would come behind, underneath the chocks, and shove their arms out on the chocks to shove the shove the chain across, basically, to and fill the, the space would be in. on a train track, wouldn't it? No, it, it, well, it, it was on the it was on the panzer. It was panzer, what yeah. we call a panzer. Yeah. Okay. It was flights on the panzer chain yeah, right. chain between the flights. Which would go round and round the old 200 yard, 200, 250 yards of coal phase. And it was flexible. So when the machine cut 24 inch of coal, it, it would strip, like cut that and then basically the snake was shoving all just, the panda over. shoved all that panda over. But it had to keep it straight because believe it or not, 300 yards of yeah. chains, pants, and chocks moved back and forwards. Yeah. If you didn't keep it straight, it would go over there or yeah. over there. Yeah. Of course, you know, end of problems. Yeah. Or the machine couldn't get round because you had that much of a kink in it. So the snaker's job was to make sure face straight, everything stays straight. And you'd got rams on, uh, hydraulic rams on the on the chocks that shoved the panda over. When you shoved the panda over, then you'd advance that chop on the same ram. Right. Lower it, advance it, set it to the roof again. And then the, we had total caving, so all that behind had, had caved in. And how far underground are you at this point? Uh, it could be miles away. Yeah. I mean, yeah. some you go pits, down in a lift. Go down a lift, probably, <laughs> probably anything from 500 to 1,000 metres. On the chair. Which yeah. on the yeah. chair. Yeah. Then you could either go down further or go up, depending where the seam was. Because obviously, each pit had different Seam. seams. Yeah. And you didn't land at that seam necessarily. You, you, perhaps, you put your shaft down initially, you cut that seam, but when you move to another one, you wouldn't move the shaft. You'd, you'd do a drift up or down, in most cases, yeah. to the next one. Yeah. So you could you do a roadway. Yeah. A drift is a roadway. Yeah. So you begin your working day, though, getting into this lift. Yeah. You go underground, yeah. You go underground, yeah. 500 to 1,000 metres. Yeah. yeah. You walk to what we call a paddy. How did that take, there, the, the lift? Very quick. Very quick, yeah. yeah. You'd pay a fortune at Orton Towers. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, it was, yeah. It was whoosh. Yeah. People would pay for the mining. Yeah. <laughs> well. it, it was, I mean, if, if you go to the big many, pit you know, in Barnsley, it's, it, they've got it set very slow. Uh, but yeah. when when we were there, it wasn't yeah. slow. They didn't have time to give you a nice gentle ride. You went, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it was it, it, went as fast as the coal in one, but it, it was no. pretty fast. And how long were the shifts when you were there? Seven and a quarter hours. Seven and a quarter hours. hours yeah, yeah. After you after you got off the chair at the pit bottom, you'd then walk walk fifty hundred yard to what we call a paddy, which was a mostly uh, it was either little trains. Uh, little diesel trains or electric trains, bobos we used to call yeah, them. Lots of different uh, things. Or it was an endless rope. Uh, so you'd have a steel rope. Uh, you know, you'd have, you'd have a mile, a mile of uh, roadway, and you'd have a steel rope 
that was endless, that kept going round like that, and, and on that rope there would be what we call a paddy, man rider, yeah. was was fastened to that rope. And then you'd have the, the driver making the rope go round, and it, obviously that paddy then goes... Oh, and that, that could be a couple of miles, then you might have a couple of miles to walk when you yeah. got through the end yeah, on exactly. that Because obviously you're advancing, or you're taking the coal, you're advancing all the time. Did you need a wash at the end of the day? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> we're we're oh, a yeah. bit lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were lucky because we had pit bass. You, know, yeah. you go back before yeah. uh, nationalisation, you went to a mucky. Yeah. You went to a got in bath at yard or yeah. in the kitchen. We've got a bath in there. Yeah. We'll show you the bath yeah. in a minute. And, so, and I mean, of course, it, a lot of industrial diseases that come in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. 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 And up to what point was it um, to shift work? The pit's open 24 hours a day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right to the 80s? Right? It, it, yeah. it depended. When I, when I first went to Newstead, in the, uh, I went there in 1966. They only, they only called on days and afters. And they did, they did the, ro the roadway raise on nights. So you had your coal in two shifts, days and afters. And then on nights, you had the dirt. So that dirt went and, and onto the dirt tip. So when you've been going into schools and also then taking people around who have never been. Yeah, it's yeah. very hard. Yeah. What sort of reactions do you get? It's very, well, everybody who comes around says it's, it's fantastic. We've never had one complaint yet. It's fantastic what you're doing. I mean, someone say we're all volunteers, so nobody gets paid, but the, everybody says. But it's, it's, as I've try, just tried to explain to you about shoving over and, and bringing your chocks in, and I'm using pit talk, which yeah. you probably don't understand a word of what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? I can't explain it any other yeah. way, and that's how we're explaining it. And we don't, sometimes it goes over people's head because they can't envisage it unless you've seen it. And the best way to see it actually nowadays is on film. You go and watch a film and, and see how that it used to work. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it was a marvellous thing, you know. But does anybody ever say to you, I can't believe that, you know, we used to send people that far <laughs> under the earth. <laughs> One or two, yeah. To be down there for so many hours a day. Yeah, and it's yeah. quite it's quite an enclosed space. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's, it depends again, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, of course, you had your roadways, yeah. but on the cold face, I mean, it, what dictated the height of the the machinery and everything on a cold face is the height of the seam. So if you had a four-foot seam, you're on your hands and knees. You can't walk. Because yeah, that's yeah. what you're taking. You're only taking the coal. You're not taking anything above or below it. So you take you take that four foot, and that's four foot of height you've got to work in. And then if if the if the seems eight foot, you might be able to walk bent bent over like we did at Thorsby. Ten foot, it might be a bit better. So it's just depending on the height of the seam, how you worked. So can I ask you, how long did you work in? The I, I worked uh, just forty five. Just short of 45 years. Just 45, okay. You miss it? Yes, I do actually, yeah. What do you miss? Uh, I miss the work. I, I really enjoy the work. Uh, especially when, when I started, it was more hand-got, hand if you like. Uh, over the years, there's been more, more machinery yeah, and, and yeah. better machinery and um, better safety methods as well. Uh, but yes, I miss, them. I miss the men, you know. Because once a pit closes, you know, you might see one or two odd ones that you've worked with, but you don't, if you don't live in the village and stay in the village, and I never lived in the village, but 
you, you lose contact with most 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 of the men, like you know. Yeah. So that, we would Camaro artery that that was part of the part of the working in in a, in a mine. You had to do. You had to look after each other. So we were talking about Sherwood before. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, that's, it's one of the so you know this uh, drama about. Um, that comes out of the minor strike and the split yeah. between the NUM and the UDM or yeah. people who went on strike and people who didn't. Yeah. Yes. Um, but actually, as you say, there was a lot of camaraderie before. Yeah. And uh, so in the first place, you, you know, how well do you think the, the drama sort of captured what happened as a result of that sort of division? Within yeah. I mean, I, I, as, as I said to you earlier, I didn't quite get into it until after the, the first two or three episodes. I thought it was a bit banal, really, what, what, what I was seeing. But after they, after they started talking about the strike and and or what, and I know it didn't portray the strike, and and it never does. Whatever we we've done, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's it, we are never portrayed in a good light. Yeah, Nottinghamshire miners get a really bad. Yeah. Well, yeah, we get overall, we, we get we even get a bad uh, reputation. We're all the striking miners, but there we go. That's one of the the pitfalls. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it was it was it was a decent program. Uh, but uh, you could tell that it, the, the 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 lad that wrote it had never worked down the pit. Do you think things have healed though better well, since then? Because obviously, well, the, the obviously, murder. once we went back to the pit, I mean. Uh, we were lucky. I worked at Newstead. I was a machine driver at that time. We went back on his old job. Most of us went back on his old job. There were one or two that that didn't, uh, where management had something against them. And although they went back to work, they didn't. They still didn't like when uh, they sent them, you know, in the worst part of the pit. Yeah. But mostly at Newstead, we we were all right. There were only a couple of people there. But I know at Venting. Uh, those that were on strike got the worst jobs. They went on uh, belt cleaning on the windiest, coldest <laughs> place on earth. And uh, yeah, there were quite a bit of that. I was machine driving when I when I went, well, before I went, I was, uh, and after, same as I say, after I got back, I went straight back on the machine. Uh, and <laughs> uh, I started off at the supply gate and I cut through, cut through the coal face to the loading gate because you had two two roadways at each end of the coal face where you had to walk to get to the coal face you had yeah. to get some you know uh, and when I got God, my really knees were on fire because we were crawling obviously yeah. on your hands and knees but one of the rippers at the loading gate who'd been who'd worked right through he came under and he says no hard feelings and I says none from me I says but the pit's going to close he said no no they're not they're not closing news still Eric he says they're not they're not closing news still we're turning we're turning coal like there's no tomorrow you know it's like a black river coming off off the coal face you know that's the exact words he said to me and I said well we'll see you know and news to close in 1987 two years after Mansfield is a town in North Nottinghamshire ba 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 Thank you to everybody at the Nottinghamshire Mining Museum for welcoming us. Now, Mum, would you have anything to donate to the museum to build up its collection and the old pit memorabilia? I've got some old boots. Are they pit boots specifically or just old boots? Just old boots. 
Okay, well, well, we'll try and do that. We could, of course, uh, donate you to them. They could, they could stuff you and put you in a display case to scare the children. What do you think? I would think I would do that very well. I'd enjoy that. Yes. Then we'll, um, we'll put in I already feel. I already feel stuffed. We'll put in a call to Eric then and see what he says. Now, the exhibition at the museum at the moment is about banners and bands, and uh, there's a lot of stuff around galas. Do you, um, you remember ever going to a pit gala? Yes. And obviously there were bands. Were there also choirs at pit galas? Yes, there were. Okay. There were. Now, now, it's the end of the show, so as usual, uh, we need to get you to sing. And I thought today, just to kind of mix it up historically, bring in something a bit different, we get you to sing the theme tune, Mansfield is a town in North Nottinghamshire, in the manner of somebody in a choir at, uh, at a gala. So, Mum, go. Oh, this is strange. It's as though the sound has gone off. I can see your lips moving, and yet no sound emanates from uh, from between your lips, which is which is kind of you know it's blessed in a way, isn't it? But um, why why are you uh, why are you doing that? Because that's the only way I was allowed to join the choir. I was told I was quite nice to look at, so I was quite you know they didn't mind me filling the odd space in. But the one thing is, I must not make any noise. I could stand there and I'd got to sing silently. Hence, you asked me to sing like I did in the choir, and that's what I was doing. And why were you because, not allowed to sing? Because I'm so tuneless. Well, yes, they just they just didn't want they just didn't want me to sing. Oh, that's that's terrible. And yet, you know, as, as we know, since then, you've done Mansfield's entry to Eurovision and everything. So, yes, I've got better. You have. You are, you know, you are really the modern day Gracie Fields, I think. And to prove it, I think now you should just belt out, you know, a chorus of the theme tune anyway, just to serve them right, just to tell those old gala masters, you know, what, what they what they were missing by not having you sing. Sally, Sally. No, 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 you've got to, you've got to sing the theme tune, our theme tune. Mansfield is a town in North Nottinghamshire. Mansfield is a town in North Nottinghamshire. Is that good? Is that good? Because Mansfield is a town. In North Nottinghamshire. Well, it's not in the north, and it's not in the south. In fact, it's bang in the middle. I said, hey, you 